welcome gentlemen thanks for joining me for the season one off the shelf epilogue good morning thanks for Hello. having us does everybody say it's recording this time Let's i heard it. it is I definitely it. recording it is definitely recording this time i'm really sorry about that um, all right so <clears throat> we're here today to discuss the year in review decide how how it went things you do differently best book of the year and worst book of the year who would get the coveted absolutely useless prize that we will bestow upon one book for being the best of the season and who will get we we, we should probably come up with actual names for that but that's never gonna happen so give me the wonky donkey award the wonky donkey award the fred award my donkey mm. But yeah, so who's gonna get the who's gonna get the top the top level? Should we let should we start out with the worst book of the year? Because that's always more fun than the best book of the year. So um we did this mathematically. Yeah, remind um, us um which books we actually reviewed this year. <laughs> so technically we have reviewed technically we have reviewed seven as an off-the-shelf, but only six have posted as of the, the recording of this. We are going to be releasing one episode that Jonathan Menges was not available for, so we had a substitute. So we're gonna call that one like a an appendix, uh, appendix episode that will be released. But bonus, Jonathan uh, bonus content for subscribers only. Bonus content for subscribers only. Don't make sure On to our hit the Patreon. like. Yeah, oh yes, a, pa- a Patreon. Yeah, only we don't have a Patreon. Dear listeners, so don't 15. worry. Fifteen ninety nine a month. I really feel like if you enjoy any of the content Rippercast has ever produced, you're at least entitled to send us all like a, a free coffee card so that <laughs> we can nice, have some, we can have some caffeine to keep this rolling. But anyway, so <laughs> so the books that we have read up until now are. The Case of the Murderous Dr. Cream by Dean Job, The Case of the Salmon Sandwiches by M.W. Oldridge, Crip and Cora and the Body in the Basement. We've done The Poisoner's Handbook by Deborah Blum, Hell's Half Acre by Susan Genesis, and The Midnight Assassin by Skip Hollinsworth. And then there will be a, a, a bonus book coming out that's not going to go into the uh, numerical uh, it wouldn't have won anyway. We can just say that straight up. So it's not going to go into the numerical calculations for best book. So, um, all right. And it, and it wouldn't have lost either. No, so. it would not have lost. It wouldn't have lost and it wouldn't have won. So it wouldn't have won any of these awards. It wouldn't have won the book or the woohoo book. So, can I ask a question, please? <laughs> Absolutely. Does also us having a special bonus guest on one of the episodes, I can't remember which one it was, in the form of M.W. Aldridge, um, skew with the results? Or have you taken that calc- Mr. Aldridge's calculation out as well? I have taken mm, out good, his good calculation. Question. I did not include his calculation into the totals. However... Yeah, it was a messed up uh, vote anyway. <clears throat> Even if I included his calculation <laughs> into the totals... If we go by the strict math, so so this is the argument is some people hated a book worse, like like your worst book may not be my worst book and your best book may not be my best book. So we had to decide, like, do we go by strict mathematical averages or do we go by let's fight it out and decide which is really the best. So and, and Mark's uh, score for the um, Crippen book made me question 
the validity of the whole rating system. <laughs> Jonathan, there hasn't been a single episode where you haven't <laughs> questioned the, the validity of the entire rating system. <laughs> yeah, that's like an ongoing theme. You have to abide by the rating system or this all falls apart. Um, like... I'm sorry. I was I I had too many margaritas last night, y'all. Um, I'm not doing well right now. I'm I clearly still... didn't have enough margaritas last night. I though. know. What's up with you? I'm telling you, it's the holiday time. You have to be drunk to get through it. All right. So I think, though, like, I don't think there's much of an argument on the worst book. I think for all of us, mathematically, we all picked this as our worst book. There isn't a single person for whom Crip and Cora and The Body in the Basement was not their lowest rated book. Like, uh, Menges, you rated this a one. John Reese, you rated it a 2.0. I, at the time, was trying to be generous, and I rated it a 2.5, but I have said in retrospect, because that's another thing. Like, this is the one book that I would go back and I would lower my rating for, because there were other books that I thought were a solid three, and this one was so far below that that I would probably drop it if I had the chance to go back and do it all over again, I would drop mine to a 2.0. So, but this one all scored the lowest rating for all of us individually. So we all picked this one mathematically as our lowest book. And by the averages, it also came out as our lowest book. So Crip and Core in the Body in the Basement, just how bad was it? Pretty damn bad. So, so that, that wins the um, Golden Donkey or is the Golden Donkey? <laughs> no, the, the Golden Donkey is the prize, man. You want oh, Fred. okay. No, that's true though. Cause it's like, I like donkeys. So I think donkeys are great things, but I realized like, here, have this jackass. <laughs> and right. it's, it's, so I to recap of why I gave it a one, I, one star, I believe you said. Mm -hmm. um, that was because uh, of the author's really condescending attitude um his uh penchant for accusing Crippen researchers of um being just a bunch of idiots without naming names without naming their sources lying he lies a lot throughout this book especially about what um what ripper researchers have discovered about Crippen. twists it all up basically yeah I hated the book. I, I I hated just his 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 inability to use words correctly. His dropping in information out of nowhere with no context. It was just badly written without any kind of editing. It was terrible. And I really would. I would probably go back after having read so many books. I guess because I have such low expectations of the true crime genre in general. Like I was generous with this one because at least every once in a while there was a grammatically correct sentence and it, it, you know, but like in having read so many books that I did enjoy, like I did enjoy most of the books that we read and, and in comparison to the other books that we read, this one really suffered, especially retrospectively looking back. I was like, yeah, that one was just not good. I don't remember why I rated this one so low because I don't actually remember a thing about it, to be honest. So <laughs> maybe I repressed the memory. It's utterly forgettable as a book. Like, I, I, it was one, like, I remember you said the same thing where I had asked everybody, like, what, what is your knowledge of Crippen going in? And I had sort of asked everybody, and I think you said the same thing as I did. You didn't come out with any further 
knowledge. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like you didn't have a whole lot going in, but you didn't come out with any more. And so um, I think that was one of the things you said was that there was, it didn't further your, you know, your, what was the point of this book? You know, it yeah. didn't, it didn't provide any great expansion on the case. It was just to promote his theory, which didn't seem to hold up all that well, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, my, my thing is, I, I quite often think a nonfiction book worthwhile reading if it teaches me something new. Um, so, you know, for example, going back to the Ripper genre, um, you know, a Jack the Ripper suspect book, which may not have much going for it for its theory, but, you know, if you learn something new in the book, I think it's a worthwhile read, be it about, I don't know, like, Barber surgeons, uh, pogroms, you know, just a couple of examples of things I've learned from Ripper books that I didn't know much about previously. Well, and, you know, and that's a thing, too, like in the with the with the Crippen book, he was basing his whole theory on the idea that the DNA proved that um, it was a man in the basement. But then we found out that the, you found out like right before you you gave you sent us the information that um the professor that had done all of the tests had been basically like out of his university for conduct unbecoming. And I was sort of like, I, you know, I have a really hard time. If I find out you're unethical in one way, I have a hard time believing like you're not going to be unethical in other ways. So how much credence can I now give to, if you're going to hinge your entire theory on this researcher's findings, I want that researcher to be impeccable. And when I find out that he's not, that puts a significant mm, question in my mind. Even stuff like, you know, the recent book that we read, where um, the, the, the bonus book that has not yet been released, but she quoted, you know, John Douglas in it. I, I make mention in the podcast about how she made, you know, she was, she was, you know, very invested in the theory that her, her, this criminal was a psychopath. And she quoted a lot of, of criminologist or uh, psychologist and, and, and profilers. And she quoted John Douglas, who tells the story that's absolutely factually inaccurate. Like just reading the story, you know, it's not factually accurate because there, there, you know, she talks about how during a trial, the district attorney went up and put his hand on the testifying witness's arm and, and, you know, use John Douglas's psychological tricks to break him down. That never happens. You can't go up and start fondling a witness during a trial. Like you, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. That can't happen. But she, she repeated this apocryphal story that John Douglas tells. And it's like anybody in the true crime space should know that that's not going to actually happen in a trial. You can't be like, let me rub your arm, baby. Let me, let me, let me make this deep connection while you're testifying in a trial about murder. Like you can't do that. And so, um, yeah, so it's like if your research doesn't hold up and, and, and I clock it in the middle of reading it, then it puts your whole book in doubt for me. Like, are you only cherry picking the things you like to put in there and, and ignoring the fact that they're not factual? And that's going to take a real slam on a book for me. That's going to turn the book into a, a very questionable source in my mind. And so, um, yeah, Crip and Core in the Body in the Basement. Across the board, worst book of the year. Terrible. Yay! <laughs> that was easy. I was 
applauding it for it, it winning the prize. <laughs> yes, it does deserve some applause. You know, what is there's like in the movies, they they do the worst performances of the year and they give out the Razzies. The Razzies. Yeah, we need our own version of or the Razzies. Wooden Spoon Award is what we have in uh, in British culture for a, a team that performs worse than something. They get a wooden spoon. A wooden spoon? Pourquoi? Like, what is the. What is you know, the. You know, you know, like a wooden spoon used in the kitchen for like, you know. But why? Like the raspberry I get because the raspberry is like that noise you make when something is terrible. You know, it's like, it's terrible. But what? why do you give a wooden spoon? I will. Um, uh, wooden spoon award. I'm going to the Wikipedia page here. Um, yeah, it's um, it originated in Cambridge University. The uh, lowest scoring student who still earned a third class degree um, would, would, would have a wooden spoon. Oh, apparently as well, the wooden spoons got progressively larger each year. So the last one presented, it looks to be about seven feet long from this picture. So it's... Uh... Oh my gosh, that's harsh. So you get called out in front of everybody as being the stupidest person in your class? Well, I, I I didn't know it actually came from an academic thing. It, it's um I know oh. it from like from rugby. Um, in uh, in rugby, the the last the team placed last in the in the Six Nations uh, tournament is said to win the wooden spoon. It's not an actual. You Brits spoon. are harsh, man. We Dang. are. We are. Pay yeah. pay all this money to go to school. <laughs> it's also done in Australia and New Zealand sports as well in uh, in rugby. The rugby thing, but mostly. Okay, the well, the, the as yet to be determined, you stink award goes to. <laughs> we should give them an onion or like you stink the garlic pulp or something. <laughs> All right, sorry, I'm punchy. Like I said, too many margaritas, not enough sleep. The bag of dog shit. <laughs> hey, dogs are noble creatures. They don't well, serve to be associated. Really. The bag of dog shit award. It's not the. <laughs> all right. So, all right. And then we go on to the uh, the uh, best book of the year, which there is some argumentation around because this is the only one where it did not get my highest rating. I rated one other book slightly higher than this one, but mathematically by averages. The highest mathematically averaged book was uh, Salmon Sandwiches by M.W. Oldridge. So going back and looking over, would you still rate that your highest book? Um, Probably so. Um, It was close between that and Hell's Half Acre, which I know didn't rate as highly on your guys' scale as it did on mine, I don't believe. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just biased. But um, he hates Americans. So, so it was a, to, for me. It was very close. But yes, I'm I'm happy with um, salmon sandwiches uh, getting the golden donkey this year. So my my other highest uh, well uh, my other highest rated was um, uh, the Poisoner's Handbook. Handbook. What was my difference in scores between those two? Out of 
We were exactly flip-flopped. So Poisoner's Handbook, I rated a 4.75 and I rated uh, Salmon Sandwiches a 4.5. And you flip-flopped that and did Salmon Sandwiches 4.75 and Poisoner's Handbook 4.5. And I was like, I was thinking about this because this was my thing where I was like, I rated Poisoner's Handbook slightly higher. And it was because like, like when we were talking about Salmon Sandwiches, Salmon Sandwiches was like, had some great moments in it. It had some really great writing. It had some absolutely amazing moments. But then there were a couple of places where I was like, oh, you know. So it was like very, very, very high highs and a few tiny little troughs, like nothing major, you know, just like a little bit. Like we were talking about how that one section where he just eviscerated that other author, which was very amusing, but it w- it was a lot, you know, and I was like, oh, that could have been edited a that. little bit. I enjoyed it too. I thought it was hilarious, but you know, the editor brain in me was like, that probably could have been cut a little bit. Uh, Poisoner's Handbook, it didn't have the high highs, but it was just more consistently like, it was consistently good, but there were no like purely like, wow, that was some great writing because it was just a, it was a very solid, well-written, well put out scientific book kind of a thing. And it's hard to get really expressive, eloquent writing in kind of a, you know, a, a non-narrative kind of a thing, whereas, you know, Salmon Sandwiches had those great, great highs. So I was kind of like. Ugh, going back, mm. did I ding M.W. Oldridge too much because I was trying to be fair and be like unbiased and we all know him and don't hate him. So, um, you know, there was that overcorrection or what. But I mean, I still enjoyed them both very, very much. But mathematically, uh, Salmon Sandwiches came out higher because Jonathan Menges over here did not like Poisoner's Handbook because of all the science parts. Yeah. So. I, I really enjoyed the sciencey parts in in, in Poisoner's Handbook. I enjoyed the structure of it. So you know, each chapter is um, a poison. You know, a poison. I enjoyed the um, kind of development going from the coroner to the medical examiner system in the state. All the stuff about um, prohibition, I really enjoyed as well. That type of history um, around bootlegging and uh, you know, it's almost like boardwalk empire and and stuff like that. Um, but the the um the sciency bits were still very sciency. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were quite they were quite deep, you know, complicated things. Um whereas the reason I rated salmon sandwiches higher is because there were moments where there were quite in-depth sciencey things being discussed, um, about the poisons and the chemical compositions and and that type of thing. But uh, M. W. Aldridge has this ability to take a topic which he he isn't an expert on. You know, he is not a chemist. He is not a scientist. He is not, uh, as far as I'm aware, he does not have any forensic training. Um, and he can he can take that topic, and not only does he seem to thoroughly understand it himself. And this is true in everything he writes, but he can then break it down into a way that's understandable to the general reader. And that ability in that book um, is why why I scored it higher than uh, than Poisonous Handbook in the end. So are we all in agreement that our highest award of the year should go to M.W. Ulrich, The Case of the Salmon Sandwiches? Yes. Yes. All right.
that's and, it. And I and I want to talk about the rating system again because because um, <laughs> I I get a little I get this opportunity in each uh, each episode, I believe. So basically, you know, are you are are we looking at it? Here's how I kind of look at it. All books start off before we even open the cover with five stars. And then if you're dinging the book based on its faults, mm-hmm. um, and then up oh, and then and then you you um I just wanted to make it clear to our listening audience that it's not that we we are just and this goes back to one of Allie's points about the the high highs of the salmon sandwiches versus the consistently good with no low lows of the poisoner's handbook. So it's kind of, we're just not um, dinging books off of that five stars. Um, and, and because then we're taking into account things that the books really excel at um, more so than the other, just like Ali was saying, um, levelly, level good, you know, book. Um, so, uh, isn't, isn't that true that, that, okay, well, we ding like Mark's book, um, and with Hell's Have Acre. So, which we're going to address, but, but just quickly by comparison, um, my issue with, and I think all of us had issues with Hell's Half Acre in that, um, it, um, it was hard to figure out initially with the time jumps. And that's a problem that we had with a few of the books we re- reviewed this year. Um, and until there, then you get through it a bit and then there's kind of like an aha moment. Now I see where this is all coming from and going towards. Um, and then, but then, then we ding, so we ding that book for that reason. And, and and a couple others and then we ding mark's book for yeah his he his some of us thought maybe were an excessive amount of literary criticism as far as the um the contemporary literature surrounding the case highly entertaining um, literary criticism but possibly slightly a, excessive. A bit excessive right yeah. um but then mark's as John um, so eloquently described, his absolute talent for being a genius uh, level intelligence on everything he seems to write about. And then, and also his style of writing being uh, pre- the most cinematic book, I think, that we read. Again, close with Hellsat Bakers, um, raises it above something that's consistently just good not great not bad like poisoner's handbook anyway well one of the things i should say on things we ding on because when i did interview um uh the author for the the podcast that hasn't released yet she did say because i had talked about the fact that we were harsh on people who don't cite like if you go back and listen to all of these podcasts, like the people who don't cite properly, they get dinged. And Susan Genesis is one of those who did get cited, get got dinged for not citing how we wanted to. And she did say specifically to me, because I we dinged her in that podcast as well for not citing. And um, she did say to me, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, I've not gone back and, and researched it, but she did say that uh, authors are no longer, they're not given the choice in how they cite anymore. 
that your publisher determines that. And so if the publisher says no in-text citations because it's too uh, expensive to do it that way, uh, it may not be the author's choice. So we should possibly keep that in mind for season two when we're going forward, where as long as there is citation, like in the back, like in Susan Janessa's Hell's Half Acre, she had all of her sources in the back of the book. Um, she had all the places she took information from. It just wasn't directly linked to the places, which annoys me, to be honest. Like, I don't, I understand it may not be her choice. It may not be a publisher's, it may be a publisher's decision as opposed to the author's decision. But it still makes it way more hard to check the accuracy and veracity of of what someone's saying if you don't have direct citations. But it also may not be the author's choice as to how their books get cited. Yet we've also criticized books for their their, their page layouts, uh, not their page layouts, but, you know, the type of paper they've used, the glare on the page for accessibility reasons and stuff. So I think it's perfectly acceptable to criticize a book for a publisher's decision. At the end of the day, you know, if you've got a problem with your publisher making decisions like that, get a better publisher. Yeah, um, true. Um, I... I, why is it more expensive? Is it the extra space it takes in the book, extra pages? Is it the cost of having someone to actually do the footnoting? Was that explained at all, or do we know why? No, and I will be honest. I am not happy with my interview uh, with the author. There was a lot of things that were said in that interview that I didn't follow up on because legitimately... At the time this interview was going on, my phone was blowing up because I had found out I had one family member in the hospital who was probably going to die. And another family member had just been diagnosed with cancer. Like in that hour, like my phone was just like, you know, like I could, you know, it, it was it was a little bit chaotic. And I, I, I'll be perfectly honest, I'm not happy with that interview at all, because there were some things said in that interview that were that I should have followed up on just going to be very upfront. I sh there were many things said. like she said one thing that was just a couple of things that were an inaccurate. Like I know for a fact they were not accurate or at least they weren't accurate in terms of what she said in the interview versus what was in her book. And I didn't follow up on them. So I'm just going to, I'm going to raise my hand and say, I did a bad job. I did a very bad job in that interview. I didn't follow up on any, on things that I should have followed up on. And that's my bad. But, um, but yeah, I had a, I, that day I had a lot going on and it was not my best work. So, um, so yeah, so um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't do a follow-up on that. I didn't do a, I didn't do a lot of follow-up in that interview. So it was, it was not good work there. So yeah, I don't know. And that's something that I should probably do some research and investigate a little bit more before I say it. And, you know, we can talk about it in our season two uh, yeah. prologue. We'll, we'll, we'll do the research and come back. I'm, I'm, I, I'm still going to vote Bookstone for not having footnotes um, I, yeah. or, you know, or, or sourcing. I might not be as harsh as I have been this season, but I'm still going to do it. Yes. Um, I, I'd like to go back to the, how we, you know, how we rate books. I know Jonathan says he starts off with five stars and then kind of uh, takes uh, takes things off or adds things on. I I do it differently. I start off at average, so I start off at three, three stars. Uh, I suppose two and a half is actually average, isn't it? I start off with two and a half <laughs> three. stars. Three is the midpoint. Three is the midline. We're going by the mathematical mean, not the statistical. <laughs> what I, start off, I start off. I start off at around three. 
I, I start. It's either two and a half or three. I start somewhere in the middle, and then I kind of I I I, I take points off, add points on. Um, you know, because because for me, you know, th- three is 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 average, and then you know five is excellent. One is 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 poor. Zero is I want to get every single copy of this book and burn them, um, in, in effigy, um, to something, um. We don't technically have a zero star rating. Zero is reserved for like, like you said, like this book should be banned from the universe. It's so bad, which I don't think there could ever be a book literally that bad. At least some of, you know, like some bit of it. They had a good grammatical sentence somewhere in there. I don't know. But our star rating is one to five and three is the average. Um, I I guess I I, I also, I, I do... I do look at other things about the enjoyability of the book rather than just the the way it's written um, or, or or the way it's researched. I I am, as we've said, biased against Americans. Um, so uh, completely. No, so I, for example, I I Hell's Half Acre. I fully admit I you know scored it lower because I didn't find the case or the setting all that interesting. You Whereas... also didn't find the Austin murders interesting at all, and it's just, you're biased against Americans, admit it. No, no, because Poisonous Handbook I found very interesting, and that that's American. True. That is and true. I, I like the prohibition setting of that as well. It, it's era-based, I think, you know, clearly. Um, yeah, and, you know, Case of the Salmon Sandwiches, you know, it, 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 it's Agatha Christie territory, isn't it? You know, I love that, you know. So, I, I, yeah, I, I'm fully biased on setting and what actually happens in in the case what the story is as it were what would you guys do differently in terms of 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 the year like what would you like to see changes if we do a season two what are the changes you would like to see things i learned in in the doing of this is that i am definitely never going to interview an author again if i don't like their book i'm gonna read the book first before i extend the interview (laughs) because that's just that's awkward hey your book we kind of thought it sucked. <laughs> I would actually uh, personally um, like to actually, you know, read the book before the night before the podcast, um, which is something that I haven't been. I start it and then something distracts me. Um, and then a lot of time then I don't actually finish the book until the morning of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The um, here. Yeah, the uh, uh, the Crippin book. Are you saying that you don't treat this like a professional responsibility and give it I all really due seriousness don't. and weight? Um, how many? Um, I have a question, John. How many books do you have going at one time? Like it, I have, um, I'm I'm not the type of person. Very rarely do I like read a book cover to cover, and like you know, without without being interrupted by a different book. And so I have, I probably have about a half a dozen books that I am reading at the same time. And then depending on my mood, that dictates which book I end up picking up and reading. So, So it takes me longer to finish a book, mainly because I'm reading several books at the same time. Whereas, um, some people are the other way to where they they can't stop reading a book if they stop before they get through it then they will never go back to it so how how do you go about it john 
that's uh, why it's, that's why this uh, project of off the shelf is kind of difficult for me because I I have so many other books that I'm reading you know that I'm more interested in reading than let's say uh, Crippen Cora and the Body in the Basement. It differs a lot for me. Um, so, for example, at the moment, I think I've got one book on the go. Or I, I might have one that I've kind of started, picked up, and then put down, and I'll come back to it at some point. But then, like, you know, back in the summer, I think I, I had about six books on the go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does differ um, based on... It's, it's kind of what, what enters my read pile and how interested... You know, sometimes I'll start reading a book, and then... A uh, book will be released. I really want to read, and then I'll come and I'll start that. And I, you know, so it does differ. Um, I do. I got to say, I do read more fiction than non-fiction uh, these days. Um, pre-pandemic, um, before twenty twenty, I probably read about five percent fiction, ninety five percent non-fiction. Now it's something like. 80% fiction, uh, 20% non-fiction. So we all need our escapes. Well. We all I think need it's that. escapism. Yeah. I think I think, you know, with uh, with with the pandemic and also stuff I've had going on in my life as well, I want the escapism. Um, you know, I've also noticed I've, I've got a lot more fantasy books than I used to as well. So that's pure escapism, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. um, Those I read um exclusive I I'm exclusively a non-fiction reader um and his a history reader. But, you know, sometimes I'll want to read a book about, I'll be read, I'll, I'll read like Last Train to Memphis or something about Elvis Presley. If I've had a particularly stressful day and, and, and don't want to read a book about, you know, the formation of the mafia in, in the 1920s New York City kind of a thing. You know, so the what I read really depends on my mood. Um, and then, you know, if I have a decent day the next day, then I'll pick, you know, s- some of the more true crimey books that I read. I have to be um, in a particular mood to read. And so we I'm should not, pick all of I'll... the books well in advance so you guys can all have your good days to read the, the books. Yeah, if we that's that's the key. So, Jonathan, what would you do differently? Put, put more of an emphasis on um, crossing the ocean maybe alternate books as far as what country the murder was in even or something. No, I want uh, all American books just to torture John Reese. I want them to all be Americana, like nine, early 1900, 1800, you know, early, just really drive the knife in. Um, I, I would also possibly uh, maybe broaden the historical time period a little bit. Or or uh, have wait. A show what do you mean where... by broaden the historical time period? Because I thought we had all agreed like no modern cases because we didn't want to deal with living victims kind of a thing. Like where, you mean where are we? Um, where's nineteen forties now? World War Two. Nineteen forties to like nineteen fifty would be like the latest. Like anything in the forties era and then earlier is what we our current cutoff is. I guess that would work, but maybe we should do a show, just like a one-off, on other true crime books that we enjoy. Um, Could you on the true crime books we don't enjoy? More modern era, <laughs> hmm? and ones we do not enjoy. Yeah, that might be just all-encompassing. 
Yeah, like I don't mind doing like a, a generalized. I just don't like digging into the wounds of people who like their mother might still be alive or their sister or something. It's like I don't know. I know it's like the most true crime people do that, but I, but like I don't mind doing a, like a book discussion on kind of a like what are what are your gr- greatest true crime books that you've ever read kind of a thing and and uh, doing that that would be a good show. Maybe we could do that as like another appendix show or something. Well, I think we should do another true crime books you've ever read. I'm telling you, it'd be hilarious. Like, uh, for instance, there's a book by Peter Vronsky that I recommend you guys read called American Serial Killers, The Epidemic Years, 1950 to 2000, that goes through, I mean, all of the American serial killers from 1950 to 2000, but it also you can't really have an epidemic that lasts 50 years. That's just life. But it also <laughs> sets it in 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 the culture, the cultural context, you know, of of uh, America at the time. It's a really good book, um, and um, and so yeah, maybe a show about you know some of some of those types of books, you know. I could talk about the Manson family a little. Uh, I, love, I love me some Manson family books. And well, that'll just be a fight. <laughs> so yeah, maybe we do do a show on um, without rules. Okay, a free for all. I'm always down for a good brawl and a free for all. All right. Well. Okay, well, this concludes season one of Off the Shelf. We hope you enjoyed it at least a little bit, and I guess we need to decide what our, our, our winner gets other than a good job. <laughs> I think it is a jo- good job. Should we give them a free book? We'll, we'll Amazon them a book. But how about we, we get, we'll give the winner um, the Crippen book and, <laughs> and we'll get, give the um, um, M.W. Oldridge's book to Matt Conan. Well, the problem is, is that the winner of our good award was on that episode. No more, no more guests going forward. That would be, especially if they're in the running for the book of the year. This is true. Well, I, let's be real. It's not like I had the idea for the book of the year until about five minutes ago. So <laughs> I was like, man, we should really get together and just, and then it was born. So the, there's no plan here. We have no plan. We're just winging it. I mean, I'm amazed we pressed record today. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been called out. Yes. There was an episode that somebody forgot to press record on. So thank you. All right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed Off the Shelf. Bye-bye. Bye. Ta-ta.